Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Good morning. Welcome to Fairview Church. So glad to see you all here. If you are a guest with us, once again, just want to thank you for worshiping with us. We're honored that you chose to be here this morning. We are going through our vision for this year as a church for 2022. Our mission statement as a church all the time is reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. And we really do believe that the only way to experience true freedom is in a life that is fully surrendered to Jesus. As we consider that life of true freedom, there are certain components that make that up. And one of those is life with impact. And so for 2022, we are specifically focusing on life with impact. And life with impact is, is defined by how we serve and we give generously to impact the lives of people around us. And so the way that we have specifically focused our vision for 2022 is here on the screen. Our vision for 2022 is to spend 22,000 hours serving in our spheres of impact. And so collectively, we believe that we as a church family uh, can do this. And when we're considering our spheres of impact, these are the spheres that all of us enter on a regular basis. And so the first sphere of impact is the home. And we're talking about that in this short sermon series we're going through now. And this would be the people who live under your roof or the people who come under your roof to have a meal or to play with your kids or whatever that looks like. The second sphere of impact is the larger community around us. So that may be Lebanon, that may be Wilson County broadly, wherever it is that you live, this community that we are surrounded by. And the third and final is the church. And so what we are asking is when you do something to serve in one of those spheres of impact, in the back we have three jars and there are uh, three little baskets of marbles. If you would just take a marble, drop it in the jar. Our goal is not simply to collect a lot of marbles or to see a lot of hours. Ultimately, our goal in this is to see our church family, uh, those who call Fairview Church their church family, serve and become servants in every context where we go. And, and we believe that this is part of what it means to follow Jesus. And so that's our, our primary focus. And that's what we are uh, looking to do through all of these emphasis. And we'll continue to share this in the weeks and months to come. Uh, but this morning we are going to be looking at Matthew chapter six. And so if you would stand with me and honor reading God's word, we'll be in verses 31 through 33, Matthew six, 31 through 33. So don't worry saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come now, that you would take these words that you have given us in the scriptures. And we pray that you would implant them into our hearts 
not simply into our minds, but first into our minds and then ultimately into our hearts that they may deeply impact our lives, that your spirit would show us where they need to be applied, where we need to surrender more to you and to your calling over us through the truths that we find in scripture. And we ask that in all of this, your spirit, your spirit would allow these words to bear fruit through our lives, ultimately to bring glory to Jesus, our King. It's in his name we ask. Amen. Well, we are going to consider this passage of scripture along the lines of our overall focus of living as servants in our spheres of impact. And the first thing that we are going to consider is the gospel of the kingdom. Now, this was a week where my family broadly got some bad news. Jill's aunt is looking like she is in her final days of life. And there were some things that we were hopeful would turn a different direction. And yet the news is that 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 is, is not likely to be the case. And I know that my family isn't the only family in the Fairview Church broader family that has gotten bad news. I've been on the phone with church members this week who have gotten really difficult news about loved ones. We have uh, members of our church family who have lost loved ones tragically recently. And, and I know this is just a small component of a much larger community and world that is very much filled with, with bad news. And so it is into this reality of the world of bad news that we live in and that we find the scriptures addressing, that we hear about good news, that is, that is even good in the midst of bad news. And the word that we have in the scriptures that we translate as good news is the word gospel in English, and that is the word euangelion in the Greek. And the word gospel, while you may think of a certain type of music or a certain type of preaching or or some element that kind of makes up the evangelical world, the word gospel in the first century context was not specifically a religious word. It was actually utilized in a political context. And so you would have a euangelion, which really at the core was an announcement. And it was an announcement of something that had to do with the king or his kingdom. And so if there was some specific event that had happened, there would be a herald And the herald would come into all of the territories that would represent this kingdom or this empire and would announce this news. In certain instances, that euangelion or that that announcement of good news would actually be inscribed in stone as something that was permanent. Uh, One example of that is the Perini inscription, which this comes from 9 B.C., and it is surrounding the birth of Caesar Augustus. So there is the, 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 the stone on which this inscription is written. And can anybody read that? No, okay. Well, then in that case, we'll go ahead and look at the English. The providence, which has ordered the whole of our life, has ordained the most perfect consummation for human life by giving it to Caesar Augustus, by sending in him, as it were, a savior for us and those who come after us to make war to cease, to create order everywhere. 
The birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the gospel, the euangelion, for the world that came by him. So what is it that this inscription is saying? Well, this new Caesar, Caesar Augustus, that has been born to take over the Roman Empire is not only a little baby, but he's what? He's a god. And because of that, this empire is going to experience order and peace, and there is going to be um, benefits to everyone who is part of this kingdom. So, so this is where our political system is so different from what would have been in place in the first century Roman context. There are local politicians who are running for office right now. So you see signs around town and maybe you've had someone come up and talk to you and say, hey, vote for me, you know, or whatever it is that they say. Um, And so that's kind of our local. And then obviously we know nationally we have individuals who run for office and so they do campaigns. Well, in this context, there was no campaigning, right? There, there were no uh, breakfasts at Frankie's, <laughs> you know, where people asked you to, <laughs> to vote for them. If you're a Lebanon folk, that makes sense. And uh, so this is, this is a, a different context. And so when you had a, an emperor or a king who passed away or was conquered, overcome, there was this insecurity that was present. And so when there was a new king, when there was a new emperor in place, it was, it was very significant. And, and it was not only significant for the people who were part of an empire, you also had euangelion that would have been announced if you were part of a territory that used to belong to another leader or another power, but that power had been conquered by, let's just say Caesar Augustus, to use his example, there now would be a herald that would announce to you, you are no longer under whatever that power was, you are now part of this kingdom. You're now part of Caesar's kingdom. And if the leader that had overseen your territory before that, let's just say, you know, there was a world leader who oversaw Lebanon and he was very oppressive and cruel and you were now freed from that rulership, how would you feel? Well, that would be good news, right? That would actually be good news that, that there was a better leader, a better power that was now in place. However, most of the time, these euangelion of these emperors and Caesars were not actually good news, right? This was just talk. And mostly the empire was about who? Right? The, the emperor, the people who were at the very top, the people who were in charge. And often it was really bad news for these other people because you... Uh, were now basically utilized in these these efforts. And so this is where the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is how our scriptures um, refer to the coming of Jesus and the announcement of his kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the euangelion of Jesus Christ, is actually good news. And in fact, the scripture says it's good news of great joy for who? For all people. Right? This is not just good news for a few people here. This is good news of great joy for all people. Because what we will see is that through his, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he is shown not only to be the Messiah of Israel, but also to be the true and rightful king of what? Of the whole world. 
right? And, and this is the good news of Jesus and the lordship that he has that, that literally applies um, to, to all people. And so this is the gospel of the kingdom. Secondly, we're going to see the king of the kingdom. So if you were part of an empire that was under, let's say, Caesar Augustus or whatever it was, that whoever it was that oversaw your territory, there would be certain privileges that you would receive. There would be certain provisions that you would be given, and there would be certain protections that you would be granted. But largely what it meant to be part of an empire was that you belonged to the emperor. That was really what it meant. You were owned at some level, and all of your things, and and your family, all of, all of your world at some level really belonged to him. And if you were in a Roman colony, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Caesar is Lord. And that Caesar is Lord. There would be this understanding of, of the, the rule and the reign that Caesar had over you and, and the power that he had over every aspect of your life. And this is where I think we need to understand what the good news, the euangelion of Jesus actually is and what it, and what it requires. Uh, we find in Mark's account of the gospel, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, that after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news, the euangelion of God, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So in order for the kingdom of God to be made available to you and for you to experience this good news yourself, what do you have to do? You have to repent and believe. The the word repent in the Greek is metanoia and There's a lot that's been written on what this word metanoia, our word repent, means, but it, but it really has two elements. First is you have to, to rethink everything. So the way that you see the world, the way that you see God, the way that you see life, there has to be this, this rethinking, but also, and this is the primary component, there's this reorientation of your life. Your entire life and every aspect of your life is reoriented around Jesus and and his kingdom. And this is where I think understanding what the gospel really is, is important because in America, in, in our context, the gospel can be shared in a lot of churches, in a lot of contexts, as the good news that Jesus wants to, to make your project work. That Jesus wants to come alongside of your ambitions and your desires and, and make them turn out the way you want them to turn out. And, and that is very much different uh, from what the gospel actually is, right? Because, because Jesus did not come to help build your kingdom. He came to build the kingdom of God. And what that means is for us to repent and believe and to enter into the actual kingdom of God under the kingship of Jesus, he has to become Lord, right? And this is what we see in our scriptures, that there is this bowing of the knee. There is this confessing of the tongue, not that Caesar is Lord, 
but that Jesus is Lord. And there are ways in which this is, this is something that all of us, I think, have to, to really wrestle with because our concept of what it means to be a Christian is very affected by cultural realities uh, that, that we're surrounded by. And, and so when we actually consider what it means for Jesus to be our Lord, how does he express his authority? Well, through his words, right? We, we have his calling on us directly. And there are some of those commands of Jesus, callings of Jesus, that we don't think about that often. For instance, Luke six twenty seven, Jesus says, but I say to you who listen, love your enemies, do what is good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Now, leave that on the screen for just a moment. Does this prop up your personal agenda? Does this go along with your hopes and desires for how things would go in your daily life? Do you really want to bless those who curse you? <laughs> right? Is there anything within our flesh, our, our natural way of living that, that has this goal? And, and the second question we ask is, is, is there anything that represents an intentional plan in our life to bless those who curse us? Right? Is there anything that we've actually oriented within our lives to enable us to pray for those who mistreat us? I think this is where we have to ask ourselves the question. And this, this, is, this is not something that we are going to do perfectly or that we are expected to do perfectly in order to enter into the kingdom of God. But this is something that we are called to. And Hebrews tells us that in the former days, there were the ways that God spoke to us through the apostles and prophets. So we've got our Old Testament and we've got all these speaking of God through prophets and all the ways that, that God's... But, but there's this final and full revelation of the word of God and the will of God in Christ. And so it has to have this authority over our lives. We remember Jesus says in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say, right? So, so why do, do we just make these claims about kind of our relationship to Jesus if we don't have any actual intent of, of doing what he tells us to do, even when, in, like in these paths, it's really difficult and really counter everything that we naturally want to do. Dallas Willard writes, we come to the kingdom of God through allowing our kingdom to be torn down. We become, we become able to live as servants in the Jesus way as we understand that our own kingdoms are now torn down. Then Jesus comes to help us enter into another kingdom, his kingdom of the heavens. All of us have a kingdom. All of us have this range of our effective will, as he puts it. And I know this because I have children. And they are kings of a kingdom. And they are very familiar with the limitations of their kingdom, the limitations of their effective will, because they want them to be as minimal as possible. And so they declare their dominion over 
Whatever is contested space, that is my toy. This is my chair. Get out of my space. And there is, because of that, this battling of kingdoms. <laughs> that, is, that is ongoing. And, and if you have children, you understand how this works. Now, does this go away? The, the desire to exert our authority over our kingdom and see our will done in whatever sphere we enter, is this something that goes away when we grow up as adults? No, we just come become better at hiding it and better at kind of defending it, right, in one way or another. But, but this is still something that plays out, this, this battling of kingdoms. And this is where when Jesus says that we actually have to have our kingdom torn down in order to enter into the kingdom of God and, and the kingship and authority of Christ, this is, this is something that is a, a massive change, but this is what we declare. When we go through the waters of baptism, when we enter into the waters, waters of baptism, we are saying there is this, this ending of a kingdom where I live for my will and my ambitions and, and working everything out a certain way. And, and when I come out of the water, I am now living my life under the allegiance of Jesus. I am, I am now committed to his kingdom and his kingship uh, alone. This leads us third and finally to the way of the kingdom. Uh, the early followers of Jesus were called followers of the way, followers of the way of Jesus. And Jesus compares and contrasts in our passage this morning the seeking of the kingdom of God, the seeking first of the kingdom of God with the seeking of all these things. And what are all these things? All the things, if we're honest, that we naturally seek, right? Things that seem very reasonable, like food and clothing and money and, and, and the things that seem necessary to make our life work. But at one level, they're things that are necessary to make our kingdom work. They're things that we need and that we get anxious over uh, because because we can, we're concerned about how certain situations will work out. We're, we're concerned about the, the ends of, of certain situations. And so we we worry and we focus on, on making sure that we have all of, of these things. And Jesus says, the Gentiles eagerly seek these things. Now, who are the Gentiles? It's a broad category. They're basically people who don't trust God. Right? That's really what it is. He's saying the people who don't trust God, they're focused on all of these ambitions and provisions. And he says, but we, and earlier in the passage he's talked about, we who, who have God as Father, who trust in God as Father, we, we see the world a different way. There's a security that we have that is, that is different and that is freeing, right? That is massively freeing. And, and this is where we see the difference in Jesus. The passage we looked at, if you were here a couple weeks ago when we started this series, we looked at this passage in John and Jesus said in John thirteen three, Jesus knew that the father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God 
and that he was going back to God. And so there is this security that Jesus has. He, he knows that God is his father, that God's provided everything, that, that he's following the father's plan and that ultimately he's going to end up back in the father's presence. And so there's this deep security that he has in that. And, and what did we see that Jesus did because of the fact that he had this, this incredible security in God, in the father? He knelt down and he washed the feet of his disciples. The, the security that he had, this assurance that he had in the father's provision and in the father's plan allowed him to serve. And this is where serving others is something we, we often don't do because we're afraid we won't have enough left for us. Or we're, we're, we're afraid that somehow if we, if we step into this, if we give ourselves to this, that, that, that we won't have enough for, for us. And yet Jesus expresses the outflowing of this security in the Father and in serving and washing the feet, the, the lowest task in that day. And after that, we read in, in John 13, 12, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. So remember, why do you call me Lord, Lord? This, this profession of Jesus being in this position of Lord, of being king. And you are speaking rightly since that is what I am. That's true. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. If Jesus is God, <laughs> the God who created the universe, in flesh, and he has humbled himself not only to take on humanity, but to bow down and wash the feet of the people who will reject him, who will fail him in the moments when he most needs them, who will just make a mockery of, of his investment. If he is willing to do that, and ultimately what the foot washing will point to, which is Jesus' greatest act of self-giving service, which is the cross, then we who are so much lower, who are so far beneath him, his followers should do the same. We should be marked by the self-giving love of our king. And the reason that we can do this, the reason that we're able to do this is because of the promise that we see in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. What is the promise? Is, is, so if, if Jesus is king and his word is our authority, we have to ask do we actually believe these words? That all these things that you worry about, that, that often prevent you from stepping outside of yourself, will be provided for you. It is this mentality that allows us to live 
a life where, where the kingdom of God is our reality. And where we see things that we can't just measure and evaluate and, and even sense. And it is this mentality that allows your home, 1409 Wade Hampton Court for me, I know your particular address, but it's this mentality that allows that address to not be a castle to your kingdom or queendom, or in my family, multiple kingdoms and queendoms battling, even this morning. It allows your home, your sphere of wherever you live to not be a castle to support your own kingdom, your own will being done, but to be an outpost of the kingdom of God. To, to pray, as Jesus gives us in the Lord prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is where we see that, that there is a death to self that comes before life in the kingdom. And, and some of you are here today and you've, you've never actually done that. And, and the scriptures would tell you that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is your king, that your allegiance is to him, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be brought out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the Son of God, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of light. But it requires this death to your kingdom, this tearing down of your kingdom, and this surrendering to Jesus as Lord. But this is something that is not simply a one-time thing, although if you've never done that, I would invite you today to do that, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and be saved. But it is an ongoing deliverance, an ongoing call. Jesus says every single day you take up your what? We take up our cross every day. And I would say part of taking up our cross is taking up the towel to serve. And there's no sacrifice that we will make that will compare to the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Because not only did Jesus pour out water to wash the disciples' feet, but he poured out his blood on the cross to wash away our sins. Right after he washed the disciples' feet, he gave a meal to remember what he had done, and he gave a meal to continue for us today, this morning. And if our deacons are here if you want to prepare the elements, but he gave a meal for us to reorient, to continually repent. 
All of life is repentance, to continue to reorient our lives around Jesus and his kingdom. And, and so as we prepare for this, there's, there's a unique way in which we encounter Christ in the Lord's Supper. And, and Jesus works even here and now in this place, in this gathering, because we are here to confess Jesus is Lord. And so Jesus works in our midst and, and there, there are ways in which he works. And, and I think to summarize this, I would say that we are fed by Christ. She said, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. One who eats my flesh and drink my blood remains in me. And I know if you didn't get any elements, if you just raise your hand and our deacons will make sure. Got some in the back, some over here. There is this provision Jesus gives us of himself. He gives us his righteousness, right? His perfect relationship with the father. He gives us his love, which can never be taken from us. He gives us forgiveness of our sins. His blood is sufficient to pay for and cover all of our sins. And so we are fed by Christ. We are provided with everything we need for life and godliness through him and his spirit within us. But we are also freed by Christ. He lovingly looks at us and calls us to let go of all of the things that we're holding on to that are destroying us. He calls us to let go of the sins that we're holding on to, that we're clinging to. He calls us to to let go of the unforgiveness, to let go of the bitterness that we're holding on to. He calls us to let go of the shame and the guilt that we're holding on to because because he took our shame and he took our guilt upon himself at the cross. And so as we prepare for the supper, I wanna invite you to enter into this time of prayer and, and to ask these questions and as you ask the spirit of God to search your heart. What do you need to release to God? Right? What is that? That sin, that shame, that unforgiveness, that bitterness. What is it that you're holding on to? That if Jesus is Lord, you need to release to him. And what do you need to receive from God? What is it that, that you're just anxious about or you're striving for or, or you're just seeking to provide in your own flesh that, that you need to, in surrendering to Jesus as Lord, simply receive from him? through his spirit. Take a, a moment, take a few minutes just to pray where you are. And I also ask during this time, if you go ahead and prepare the elements to take them together in just a moment.
Jesus, we thank you that you did not leave us hopeless and helpless, but that you humbled yourself, that you became a man, a man who served and a man who ultimately gave his life, dying a criminal's death on the cross in our place that our sins might be forgiven and that we could be set free, delivered. I thank you for the good news that you rose again, that you're alive and well and you're here amongst us by your spirit. Jesus, even in this moment, would you work? We find these words from Paul in 1 Corinthians for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you on the night when he was betrayed the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had broken it when he had given thanks broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me the body of Christ broken for you In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ shed for you. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This may be a bad news world, in which we live, we may be feeling bad news in our bones and seeing bad news unfold, but we are reminded that there is good news, that Jesus is the true and rightful King of the world. And one day he will establish his kingdom fully and finally and sadness and sickness and death will be no more and all will be made right in his presence. And I have a friend this week who who mentioned a quote, we don't rehearse tragedy. And that hit me because often we do rehearse tragedy. But he said, we, but I, but, I, but I was thinking about that afterwards. I thought, but in the Lord's Supper, we rehearse victory. <laughs> we rehearse celebration. We rehearse the joy that is to come. So we just did that in taking the supper. But I asked if we could do that by speaking these words of this confession. So if you would stand with me and say this confession of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.